0: When you dive into the endless possibilities of seaweed, you you are just so amazed because there, there are just so many benefits to seaweed. And then I couldn't possibly understand why we don't harvest more of this amazing ocean resource.
1: You are listening to Stories for the Future, Season 2. Stories about fixing our future and about big changes in career and life. Stories about being a beginner and daring not to always know the answer from the start. And stories about creating the best everyday life that we can. My name is Veslma Klavenes Berge, and in this season I will be talking about Connecting Changes – I hope you will join me as I go out in the world and talk to people who are making positive changes for themselves, for other people, and for the planet. Welcome! Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stories for the Future. This episode is the first where I talk to a Norwegian in English. And before the interview, I must admit thinking that, oh, this will be nice, a bit comfortable talking with somebody who's a bit like me, stumbling along in Norweglish as we call it. But then my guest opens her mouth and reveals this perfect British accent, as if she was born into the BBC or something. And as I would learn later, she almost was. Today's guest is Eva-Helene Rangdeskog. She is co-founder and CEO of Satpos, a company that develops sensors and monitoring systems for ocean data management in the harshest environments at sea. Eva-Helene grew up on the west coast of Norway with technology and an entrepreneurial mindset in the family, alongside her brother, who is also co-founder of Satpos. For years, they have been delivering solutions and technology primarily to the offshore maritime industry, which includes both the seismic and fish farming industry. But recently, and at what I would call lightning speed, they started the green transition into a new focus area of scaling up the seaweed industry. And what an exciting industry this is. I was quite taken by seaweed before our talk, but what I learned during this conversation with Eva Helen made me really enthusiastic. It's an amazing resource with so many benefits, and I can't wait to follow this journey further. Eva Helen and Satbos will walk the walk, as they say, and you are hereby invited to join. Here's my conversation with Eva Helen Erongtskog. Welcome, Eva Helens. I'm so happy we get to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And times are quite busy, and we will definitely get back to where why they are so busy uh, for <laughs> you. But uh, now we found the, found the time, and I'm so looking forward to sharing your uh, story with the rest of the world. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so... We are going to talk, be talking a lot about the beautiful world of seaweed today. Mm, mm. Uh, but first, first we need some history yeah. uh, and some basics. Mm. Uh, so maybe you could just start with um, who are you and where are you from? Sure, absolutely. Um,
0: well, my name is eva Helen Rondeskog and I'm the um, co-founder and CEO of Sapos, And it was founded by myself and my brother, John. And um, the interesting thing is that we come from a tiny island in the Midwest coast of Norway, that is surrounded with oceans. So everything that we know, and, uh, you know, our uh, our legacy rather is um, based on, on the oceans and the harsh ocean environments. And the reason why we are so into ocean technologies because we have, uh, we come from a um, family company that our father founded in the mid nineties uh, that developed positioning and sensing technology for uh, the marine seismic industry. And that has got to do with, with everything from positioning of buoys to uh, detecting, uh, yeah, various, uh, various uh, things in the ocean. So everything that we know, is based upon that legacy. And we are very, uh, we know how, what it means to be an entrepreneur, you know, from a very, very early age. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that kind of has, has changed us um, to do um, to, um, to understanding, you know, the tremendous hard work it is being an entrepreneur and also the risks that one takes. So, um, could, but,
1: could I just ask yeah. you quickly, was it in the cards that you were to take the same path coming from that, that family with that background or did you ever,
0: um, for, from my perspective? Yes. Uh, no, not at all, actually. No, um, no. <laughs> But the thing is though, when we, um, when we were young, we never watched Norwegian television. So, uh, and these are the, the tiny things that one that that is implemented in, I suppose, one's personality. But um, but we never watched a Norwegian television because we had a massive, massive satellite dish uh, in the yard or, or in the in the garden rather. And that massive satellite dish uh, had a cable that was uh, dug down to the uh, in the. Um, uh, in the uh, garden, and then up into the house, and then my father had uh, made this homemade remote control uh, remote control for the um, for the satellite dish. So every morning we had to try and pinpoint the position of something we could watch on the television. And the only thing that we could remember, like the position of the of the satellite dish, was British Television, and um, and. And that that's why we learn English as well, and that's why we. um, Why
1: you have this perfect British accent? Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's not perfect, but (laughs) it it
1: kind of it
0: it started quite early. But um, but but I think all these tiny things that we Mm. were introduced to—that was a completely different way from anyone else that I knew. Uh, of doing things in terms of technology and and innovating new things um, kind of sticks to you and shapes you in a way, Mm. perhaps in a way that you don't know or didn't know. And uh, I think that kind of shaped the the path of why we are here today and why Mm. technology, why I find technology to be so interesting and also why I know so much about technology without being an engineer because yes. it's, it's kind of what I, you know, it's my life, really.
1: Yeah, you grew up with it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So
0: understanding all the aspects of technology from, you know, I've, I've been soldering from the age of, you know, 13, 14, and I've been welding. I've been, you know, doing everything, really, from mechanics to electronics. There's nothing I haven't done, and mm-hmm. I love to do those things because it's it's a very hands-on way of learning, and um and it just yeah it it's um it also shapes the way you your brain works i suppose through um finding solutions in in different areas so yes. but i i like it i love it yeah and then when i was uh, around about uh, in my well, in my 20s i uh, i moved to england to cornwall uh, as an au pair And, um, I stayed there for three years and I started, um, I'm, I love art and fine art. So I started, um, uh, studying fine art in Falmouth, the University of Fine Art. And, um, but I didn't go the whole way though.
1: I, I realize now that we suddenly have so much more to talk about because I used to work a lot in Cornwall. <gasps> you uh, did actually no. actually with with giant satellite dishes. <laughs> so that's <laughs> Oh, were you at Gunhilly? Yes. yes. We lived literally a
0: hundred meters from Gunhilly. <laughs> <No. laughs> yes. Oh. So we went walking the
1: dogs every morning at Gunhilly. Oh, it's so beautiful. That is amazing. I, I... Yeah, I've been wanting to go back there for years, and it's uh, it's a beautiful like landscape. It and, is. Yes, I
0: painted Gunhile as uh, as the landscape. Ah. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, no shit. Okay. Yes. How funny! Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> one hundred meters away from the house. That's amazing.
1: Ah. Uh. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah. We have to take that uh, yeah. at another. Well, we'll do that later. Another episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay i realized that this part when we scream in surprise about how we both have this special feeling for a satellite station in cornwall maybe a bit well off topic but it was actually quite funny i used to work at this station in periods in what seems like a hundred years ago and i have so many good memories of cornwall and of the satellite dishes well back to the topic so you have your your main office uh for Stavros is at the Science Park uh, which is yeah. connected to the University of Southeastern Norway and mm. that is where we first met. Yes. And as I have said before, uh when I met you, you represented some somebody from my old world uh the my old oil world in a way because it's it's kind of like meeting an old relative or something that you you find you you're speaking the same language and Mm. even though you didn't work directly uh in the oil industry you were working towards towards it so up until the moment i met you what what had been the path what was the story of satboss and and your role in that up until then
0: uh, up until the point that I met you, about around about a year ago, I think. Mm. Um, While well, we've been delivering and developing precise positioning systems and electronics for AUVs and um, and floating uh, floating buoys and tail buoys for the more for the offshore industry. So the ocean data management for geological surveys, um, etc and that is is closely obviously linked to offshore and oil and gas um but uh, up until and so that was what we were doing up until the time that I met you and then during the past two years we have developed a brand new technology platform which we developed because we had a a vision of of what the world will look like within 20 or oh, 10, 15 years. And what we believe that the world will look like is that every single buoy in the entire world, like this is a massive, I know it's a, it's a grand thought, but what if uh, all the buoys uh, in the entire world would be intelligent? So they were not just a plastic buoy anymore, that floating object, but it would harvest data and communicate data and make us understand uh, the status of the ocean uh, for not only the environmental issues and the climate that we are facing today, the climate crisis, but also how to understand what's going on in the ocean and how we can harvest more resources from the ocean. Because we utilize So little of the ocean resources today. It's just a tiny, tiny fragment. And then we are completely overpopulated in the world and we can't be able to, you know, there's a shortage in food. But all the food production, most of the food production is on land. Whilst the ocean, the vast space of the ocean is the biggest farm in the entire world. Yet we utilize and harvest just a few percentages of it. Hmm. So um so we developed a um, a tiny uh, a, a tiny ocean management system that has a sensor cluster low cost that is very important if you if you don't have low cost then you know it will be difficult to to um, to get everyone to use it. So it's a it's a very generic system or generic technology, but very very smart one that has a that you can pop on any buoy everywhere in the ocean and it can detect different parameters of the ocean and it sends its uh, its uh, data and communicates its data to the cloud and then to our um, software analytics system. So so you can go in and you can check uh, the different parameters of the ocean. You can predict um, coming changes to the ocean. So so this type of analytics is, I believe, is eminent in order for us to understand more of the ocean and also be able to um, detect changes and, and detect whereabouts you can harvest new resources from the ocean. Be- be- mm. We d- we need more eyes and ears and mm. and, and senses than um, in the ocean than we have or than we have up until this day. So it's almost like a a Fitbit for the ocean. Like it, it is like a Fitbit. You know, uh, when I speak to you at dinner parties um, and 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 people ask me, uh, so what do you do, Eva? And if I say, "Well, we do satellite positioning, communication, and sensor technology for the ocean," and they're like, "And they're lost. They're completely lost, (laughs) right?" So they're like, "Oh, don't know, don't know what you can." (laughs) Um, So, but what I do say is that um, imagine a buoy, right, in in the ocean, and that buoy is is a body. It's a human body, and that buoy just lies in the ocean, and you're floating in the ocean. And what we are trying to do is to replicate a, a human in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So we we, uh, we pop on the top side unit, which we call it, which is a communication and processing unit with a battery, right? Mm-hmm. And that's your brain. That's how you communicate. And then we pop on sensors. So you have sensing, you have, um, so you can sense salinity, the way you taste, right? you can sense if it's cold or if it's warm. So that's the temperature you can, you can see that's the camera, you know, Mm. all all these things that we try and replicate uh, and make and humanize it in a way Mm. or humanify it in a way. Um, But you but without this, uh, the brain, you can't communicate it. So the brain and the top side unit speaks right, the way we speak. So I'm trying to make it look like it's a try to explain it in a very simplified way of what we're actually doing in terms of talking about it as a what type of technology we're using, because it's the what are we really trying to, to do here? Well, we're trying to to replicate ourselves really because we can't mm. be in the ocean twenty four seven.
1: Right. The, it's a really good picture. Now yeah. I have this picture of all this human looking booze <laughs> <Yeah>. floating around. <laughs> that would be a,
0: a bit weird actually, but yeah. it would be really cool. <laughs> it's actually a good idea. Oh, great. Tiny yeah. tiny human boys. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. We need we need to get to the to the seaweed part. Because yes. uh, the last time I, I spoke to you before before talking about this podcast was mm. uh, in September at the workshop, mm. uh, which was around six months ago. And that is the first time I heard you talk about seaweed. Yes. Uh, the very first. And I think you have been thinking about it and talking about it a little bit before that, but mm. maybe not so long. Mm. Uh, so, so what happened? Can you Gosh. just take us through take, the story? Ah, through the amazing
0: seaweed story. Um, yes. Wow. Well, uh, I'm completely, utterly in love with seaweed, by the way, which you probably had noticed. Um, yes. <laughs> well, we were actually approached by a seaweed farmer uh, around about a year ago um, because they had lost their boys with seaweed. Um, and they had no means of detecting whereabouts the, the buoy was because the seaweed that is attached to a rope and the rope is attached to the buoy. So they have lost the the uh, the buoy with the seaweed. Um, so they approached us and said, "Do you have any means of, of making a positioning system that we can just pop on the buoy that is tiny um, uh, and has a battery, you know?" exactly what we were making at the moment. And um, so we said, yeah, sure. So we made uh, we made a set for them uh, pro bono because we thought the project was very, very interesting. So we made that for them within a week and a half um, so they could deploy the other boys very rapidly. And then we started to learn about the seaweed industry and but what do you use seaweed for, you know, because I didn't know, in all honesty, no one told me about seaweed. And, um, and that is kind of how it started. And then when you try, when you dive into the endless possibilities of seaweed, you, you are just so amazed because there, there are just so many benefits to seaweed and then I couldn't possibly understand why we don't harvest more of this amazing ocean resource. Mm-hmm. And that led us to, to, to think, well, what's the pain? You know, why, why can't you harvest more and why can't you scale up? Um, and um, that was due to uh, manual processes. So they go out uh, very often in, in a boat um, and take samples of the water, water parameters, what's the quality of the water. And looking at the seaweed is there? Is it's not there, how much has it grown? And they have no means of positioning the farm. So they don't know whether the farm has been lost or drifted or even if it's still there. So, so and we, we come from the, the, the great benefit of being, you know, the, the legacy that we have within oil and gas industries that we come from offshore technology and what we know best is offshore technology and ocean technology. So we saw the exact same uh, problems that the fish farming industry had 15, 20 years ago, which was basically the same as the seaweed farming industry has now. And that is utilizing offshore technology into a new market for optimizing and automizing like streamlining the, the, um, the farms with technology. So you don't have to do all the manual processes yourself. You do reduce risk. You do have more control of the quality, you do have more control of the farm. And and once you once you can reduce all those risks, all of a sudden there's a possibility of scaling up and also having control of the environment that the farm is is in, which is eminent for seaweed farming. Um and that is how we um, uh, how we approached it, and then uh, we spoke to seaweed farmers and scientists and everyone that had something to do with seaweed, uh, or I did, mind you. Uh, the other ones were still developing uh, the system. Um, every single day, night, um, evening, daytime, it's like I couldn't get enough, and mm-hmm. I still still do that because. Even though seaweed farming in Norway is not a massive thing yet, seaweed farming globally is. It is massive and it is scaling up. So, um, then I joined the Seaweed for Europe Coalition and was one of the founding partners there. Uh, and, um, and, um, or founding members rather. And, um, now we are working so closely with everyone globally, uh, and mm-hmm. in Europe, uh, particularly in uh, scaling up the industry and also raising the awareness and, um, and um, you know, we, we, are, we strongly, strongly believe that seaweed as a resource is, um, uh, is one of the most beneficial resources one could uh, harvest from the ocean as we speak.
1: Yes. And we, we need to talk about that. But first, so you are now, you are now wearing two hats in a way. You are both developing this system and you're also a part of raising the awareness. A big part, I would say, as I see it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That, that's really great. But uh, would you call it, um, uh, when I look at your web page now, it says committed to making a green impact in the ocean space. Mm. And would you say that uh, that is a transition or is it, is it a pivot for a company or is it a widening of your, your um, products and services?
0: I think it's, it's, it's a bit of all actually, um, but we are committed mm. uh, and, and, uh, what we do with um, ocean data management for for geological surveys as well, we have you know we have developed a new product for that as well, and that um, is a much greener product than the other one. Uh, so we do that throughout the entire value chain of our products. But what we have learned though, and not well learned from from seaweed, which has been a, a fantastic. Uh, way of coming into the green transition is is that we are getting more and more aware of the challenges of the environment uh, and the ocean environment um and that and because we come from a tiny island surrounded with ocean um we do strongly believe that we want to preserve that as well mm-hmm. um so so the the commitment is is um is genuine, and also mm. when the interesting thing is that uh, ten years ago we didn't have kids, now we do. <laughs> and mm. so you know, I'm a mother. Uh, John, uh, my brother, he's a he's a father to three girls. And um, everything that the that that generation um, learns now is about climate. It's about pollution in the ocean. It's about marine wildlife. That is dying. It's about uh, the anxieties of future generations, and that's their generation. So um, when I look at the world through the lenses of my daughter's eyes, uh, and she's seven, then she's like a feisty little um, Greta Thunberg sometimes, because she's so, (laughs) so so she gets really upset, you know, if she sees litter or, or something, because um because what she says is that you know some birds might think that that's food and they'll die it's a very simplified but it's it's so concrete you know mm. and um i can see her worries and they are genuine really um and the way we can change um i suppose or, or come her anxieties, if you may, or that generation of anxieties for the climate, uh, is by acting and by repairing what we have damaged. Uh, and, um, but we have to, we have to make that commitment as well. And they can't just be a commitment because the green transition is a very popular way of. You know, putting it these days, but you you actually have to own it and you have to Mm show it, and um, yes, it needs to come from the heart.
1: But uh, we have been talking a lot about this, um, like using the legacy that we have from the oil and gas industry. And did you have you during this transition? Have you ever felt that um, people have been sceptic or like doubting your your honesty, or your how genuine you are, or have have you felt anything like that? Yes,
0: a lot. Yes. And I, uh, I'm so tired of the polarization because it's either you are oil and and uh, and you're not oil or you're green. Um, yes. And those two can't be united, but but they can. Um, and there's a there, there are so many. Um, so many shades in between, right? The, the black and the white as we call it. Um, and oil and climate is not like oil and water. Those Mm -hmm. two things can be united. And we have to understand that, um, it's that the, the very backbone of Norwegian legacy and the very backbone of Norwegian success. Uh, lies within uh, offshore technology and oil and gas. So, so that's our legacy. That's where we come from, and we should be proud of that. I know that it's 2021, and uh, and uh, the oil and gas has uh, is is not a fuel that we support that much anymore, because we're entering the green transition. However, though, because of the oil, we have a much better um better, a much better prospect in moving and accelerating in a faster pace towards the green transition because it is the oil and gas industry that has allowed us to experience and develop offshore technology that we can utilize in scaling up um the green transition or, or other markets that are green because of that. Mm. And the incentives that the government gives a lot of comp- companies these days for accelerating that green transition comes because we have the means and funds to do it because of the oil. So we have to have some sort of balanced, um, mm. I don't know, balanced vision of of uh, the past, where we come from and take some pride in that and see how uh, what that has given us today even though it's it's black and green if you can call it that but Mm. those two things you know it's it's not like oil and water and it's um yeah well we have to stop um polarizing it so much it's uh, it's a part of our legacy
1: yes i i so agree with you and that's why this your story is so perfect for this podcast because it's it's Truly, a story for the future mm. and uh, how how we do that trans that transition in a in a smart way. Mm. so um I can't wait to see the the, <laughs> the rest of the story. yeah, <laughs> yes, it's really exciting. So now we have to get into why, why seaweed, and what are these all these benefits
0: of what, seaweed?
1: Yes, well,
0: number one, what we talk about is the three main pillars of, the, of seaweed. So number one, seaweed uh, is used as a food resource, food and feed. So food for human consumption, animal consumption. Um, and it has a huge amount of good nutrition. And seaweed is has, needs no feed, no fertilizer, no pesticides. It is the fastest growing um, ocean resource um, that we have or plant that we have in the ocean. So it's a continuous um, flow of, of good nutrition that, that we can eat, that we can harvest and that we can eat. Um, so for food-wise, it's a, it's a fantastic resource, yet it's not as utilised in, in Europe as it is in Asia. In Asia, 98% mm-hmm. of all seaweed is, is, um, is a, uh, exported to Asia, actually, and used in Asia but very little in Norway oh, or in Europe, mind you. Uh, and number two, it's uh, uh, seaweed absorbs uh, CO2. So the more seaweed we can harvest, the better the climate. Uh, so it restores and repairs the ocean climate. Um, and that is one of the main drivers from the climate part of it is the is for sea uh, reforestation purposes mm. uh, restoring the environment um, and it has all these great um, capabilities of, of doing that. So you can restore the, the, the climate in a uh, in a very fast way where you can uh, you can place a seaweed farm in a damaged ocean environment. And then all of a sudden, it brings life back into it and creates this ecosystem with species coming and and generating mm-hmm. a a repairing um, a process. So that's a fantastic resource. Um, and then the other part, which is really interesting, now there are ten thousand things you can do with seaweed. You know, it's a, you, you actually have seaweed in toothpaste, in in, in oh. cocoa, yeah, everything or in chocolate milk. It's a binding. Um, it's it's a binding, um, what do you call it in English, middle? Uh, substance. Yeah, it's a something. binding substance, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, but also, you I don't know if you've had uh, which is just a great example though, but it's just to have some concrete. In the London Mar- Marathon in 2019, was it? 1819 uh, 19. Uh, Nopla, uh, a great company, uh, had developed these tiny plastic pouches with Gatorade so normally they'd have these plastic cups when they, they're running and they get the Gatorade or liquids when they run the marathon, but they had these mm. tiny plastic pouches. And those plastic pouches filled with Gatorade or water or whatever, um, you could pop into your mouth, yeah, drink it and eat it. And that is made out of seaweed. That's fantastic. Yes. So yes. seaweed is a great resource and mm. asset to making... Biodegradable plastic or
1: uh, a
0: replacement for that uh, type of um, um, one-time plastic that we have today.
1: Do you know? I, I was uh, just coincidentally reading an article about that uh, mm. that story recently, mm. and that company who created that. Do you know yeah. why we haven't heard more about that, and why why aren't that moving faster?
0: Well, I think you know? it's yeah. I think it's got to do with one uh, number. one. It? it's very co- it, it's not as cost effective when you do this as, a, as an early stage. Um, mm. So it's it's fairly expensive at this point. There, the processing itself, um, and that's why we want to scale up as well because um, uh, we need all stakeholders to to be a part of uh, investing in this industry. But it just goes to show that. The possibilities are there, and we have mm. made a tremendous amount of research and um, and stepping stones for something that will accelerate tremendously throughout the next few years. Uh, but probably, the mind you, I didn't know about seaweed either before I was introduced to seaweed. So it's a bit no. more the awareness thing. We don't know because no one told us. Yes. And I'm such a fan of telling people about, especially about seaweed, because if I knew the benefits that it had, and if I knew everything that I know now, you know, I would, I would, that would change my perspective on, on quite a lot. Um, if I knew it earlier, but I didn't mm. know because no one told me.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's uh, so, uh, isn't, I, I find that extremely fascinating how quickly, mm. uh, you have gotten into that. And that's a, a great inspiration, I think, because we have the tendency to think that, oh, I have this, I have this background and this kind of education and that is me. Like I'm an engineer or I'm whatever. Mm. And so that world is not for me. It's, it's something. You don't know about it either, so you you can't you have no uh, way of knowing what's behind that door yeah. <laughs> until somebody kind of opens it a little bit uh, for you. But how how quickly you have moved into this world and now become this um, this almost a, a kind of leader and awareness builder mm. in within the seaweed world Mm. and that's so fascinating how how quickly that that can happen if you just dive into it
0: yeah if you dive into it but also it's it's about um it's really really hard work so
1: it's you know
0: it's you know i work at least 14 15 hours every day weekends Mm. all the time but i do that because uh because I'm really, really committed and really really engaged, mm. and there are just so many people to talk to and mm. then and then all of a sudden and then we get projects and then we bring people together, and then we're involved with projects, and then we keep try and keep up with the pace but it's um if you you know i'm very um if I get committed to something, then I do one hundred and ten percent it's not always mm. a positive thing, mind you. <laughs> but, uh, but but person, well, from a from a private uh, viewpoint, it might be you know if I get if I'm dedicated to painting the uh, the living room, it's uh, <laughs> it goes quite quickly. <laughs> it's not you know I'm I'm very determined, but um, but when it comes to the seaweed industry and and uh, the way we did that was. Just being completely, utterly dedicated because it's something that personally I believe in and that I, um, you know, uh, have my heart in. And then mm. it doesn't feel like a job though. It, it's no. it's just the uh, you know I I spend Saturdays and drinking wine with people <laughs> across the Atlantic talking about seaweed. You know, it's it's like. It's it's just a new way of living, I suppose. It's, uh, yeah. it's
1: fantastic. A passion.
0: It's a really, really big passion, and I'm so happy yes. to have it.
1: Yes, I bet you look forward to Mondays. You don't dread Mondays. No, I love Mondays.
0: Yes. <laughs> actually. right.
1: <laughs> I'm so happy you answered that. <laughs> Which is that. <laughs> weird.
0: Yeah, that's actually weird, because when, I, when people are like, oh, no, it's almost Monday, I'm like, yay, yes, <laughs> because I can do... You know, I have kids as well, so I can't work all the time um in in the weekends, but I do, mm. but uh, so Mondays, yes, ready, yes people <laughs> <A bit> like <laughs> yeah, you're, you're weird, you're weird, <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, no, but you know you you know that you love your job if you love Mondays,
1: yeah, that's the way it should be mm. i think yeah, yeah. I, I i experienced both, so I yeah yeah the, the... me too. <laughs> Love, love of Monday is absolutely the best uh, way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have a daughter, yeah. uh, and how uh, how has she, she changed your views on the future? You think that I think some something happens when you get kids that you suddenly you see their lifetime, and 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 yeah. You mm-hmm. see, uh, longer ahead, I feel. Uh, so has she? She, you talked a little bit about uh, how she's uh, committed to the environment, and
0: yes, she's. Um, it, you know, having kids change you dramatically. I think it also, you know, it really alters your perspective on life and what's important. So number one, the the one thing that she's given me is. Uh, the ability to prioritize what's important. And mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, I think previously before I had her, I was very, I don't know, um, it was important that other people liked me, you know, that I did mm-hmm. li- likeable things uh, and perhaps a bit, be a bit careful with my, you know, my thoughts or my uh, positions on things but uh, when you get a, when you have kids it's you i i've just stopped caring if people don't like me if you don't like me then don't like me i don't care and it's yeah. it's a really honest thing because i really don't care but i do however care that you respect me but you don't have to like mm. me and like what i do um and that's and that is a way of thinking that is that has opened so many doors because Mm. then I start to ask people that I'd never asked before because I'm not afraid to ask anyone about anything. And just uh, having the ability to ask without being afraid to ask has opened so many doors Mm. that I just didn't know. And one of the things that I say is that, well, I'm just asking and, and the worst thing that could happen is that you say no. And can I deal with that? Yes. Mm. Uh, because I don't care if you don't like me (laughs) right yeah but most of the most of the people say yes instead of no but Mm. so uh, so that is a fantastic um, value that she's given me and also in in terms of her you get so consumed on what's you know on on how is her future going to look like and what am I doing to, today to help her uh, help her ease those pains that you know they feel that they uh, are subjected to in the future, mm. and um, and I want to and I've committed that I want to make a change, and mm. I don't know even though talking about seaweed or having systems for scaling up seaweed. Perhaps is not a a big change at least it's something and we're doing something and that my daughter can look back and say, you know you actually did something to make a change, mm. even though the tiniest things but um, I want to um, yeah, it's I want I just want her future to be safe and mm. and healthy and have a great prospect.
1: Yes exactly. So so looking um 10 years ahead mm. let's say. Mm. Uh, uh what are you what uh, what do you think is the future for satpos and and yourself and and seaweed the world of seaweed what's your vision? Uh I think that the future for satpos would be
0: that um we are everywhere around the world um harvesting ocean data uh giving information uh, to different types of farmers, different types of stakeholders. Uh, it could be um, for environmental purposes, it could be for harvesting purposes. Um, and I think that you know the, the notion that we have that every single boy in the entire world would be intelligent. Uh, yeah. I believe in that. I believe yes. that Sapos is a major contributor to becoming that. So from Sapos' point of view, I believe that. Um, We can get there with time. Um, And uh, I hope that every single Starship, not every single Starship, but I hope that within time, uh, most Starships and most companies are focused on learning more about the ocean and harvesting more of the ocean. Because even though we have a system that, that gives you information, there's just a tiny fragment of what you can actually do with the ocean. You need the harvesting processes, you need um, other types of technology that can detect and monitor as well. So I hope that uh, the ocean resources is not as unmapped and unutilized as it is today.
1: Mm. Yeah. But think think of all the possibilities when it's so so little... Yeah, you Utilize, know, that's what you say. yes.
0: And if you, you know, if you imagine, you know, we're, we are launching people to Mars, hmm. right? <laughs> we know more about the, the, uh the, that space that we do the ocean space that we, we have an air, it's, it's, there's so many things that we, that we can do, that is important for us. And that gives you a as an immediate value, but that we just don't focus on because we just don't know because it's so big and so vast.
1: Yeah.
0: So we have to start somewhere and I hope that we can be a part of that.
1: Yes, I'm sure you will. Uh, so, um. Where is the best way to... You, you say that you are walking the walk and you are yeah. inviting people to walk it with you. Hmm. So where's the best way way for people to to walk the walk of seaweed? Walk so the walk speak, of seaweed. Full yeah. of you and your work. Um, LinkedIn.
0: Uh, I'm not on Facebook as much uh, or on Instagram because I don't have the time, but I'm on, on LinkedIn and that's where we connect mm-hmm. one another to... Uh, to the seaweed worlds. So join me on LinkedIn, and uh, I will link you as well to uh, the seaweed worlds. It's a it's a mm-hmm. tremendous tremendous uh, network of great people and hardworking people and um, committed people.
1: Yes. So uh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for this really interesting conversation. I hope that a lot of our listeners uh, will uh, jump in and learn everything they can about seaweed. And <laughs> I can't wait to follow your journey further. It's, it's so so fascinating what you have done and what you're doing. Thank, so you, so thank you so much. Thank you,
0: Varslova. It's been a pleasure.
1: Seaweed, anyone? I'm hooked, that's for sure. I think this episode is such a great example of what this podcast is really about. How we can see opportunities in changes, how we can and must adapt and transition into new areas. But, and this is really important, without disregarding the past and without being shameful of everything we built so far, this should not be something we are afraid to talk about. And in that sense, Eva Helén is doing a really important job. For everyone interested in digging more into this amazing area of seaweed, I would share links and information in the show notes. And as a really easy solution, I suggest you just follow Eva Helén on LinkedIn. I think that would get you covered pretty good. So, have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, I suggest you do because I have a lot of really interesting people lined up for you. Next time, we will be talking about leadership and how to find our zone of genius. So stay tuned. Talk to you soon.